This is John Mitchell. This is Milan Hayden. This is Jan Hayden. Hi, this is Peter McNabb, and you're listening to the official podcast of Dog Nation Hockey. Smalls wins the draw, puck pulled back to Cap. He'll take it himself down the left wing, flying into the zone across the blue line. Looks to Smalls down the slot. He'll walk in. He shoots and scores! All right, folks. Welcome to the Dog Pod, and Smalls scores again. Yeah. <laughs> never, never, never gets old. That's right. It's it's the only time I score every week in terms yeah. of hockey. So, hey, this is Mike Smalls, Freeman, and Marty Cappy Richardson. And uh, we're so excited to bring you to the Dog Pod in our eighth episode in our first and maybe our only guest from Moose Jaw, a true Moose Javian, as they say up in Saskatchewan, and an enforcer for the St. Louis Blues, Mr. Reed Lowe. And then the front end of our show, Cappy, is going to uh, feature Johnny O's teammates from the Fighting Amish and the newest dogs, Jared Schmierbach and Matt Heath, two guys that really represent love and action, rallying uh, the St. Louis area to put on the Johnny O three-on-three tournament. So with that, Marty, how is the dog part looking? Oh yeah, those were those were those are all really, really great guests, but let's get to the numbers. Um, so how about this? Mm. We've added two more countries this week. <laughs> we are climbing. Yeah. <laughs> One of those is the hockey hotbed of Mexico. <laughs> Thank you, Jorge. Oh, George Alt must have visited Mexico lately. Been yeah. spreading the, he's spreading the gospel. Yeah, so that's gonna that and and you can imagine Moose Jaw, right? Oh yeah. Can you can you imagine what's gonna happen when we pick up listeners in Moose Jaw? The Moose Javians are, are going to love us. Yeah, there's got to be at least yeah. 60, 70 of them up there, I imagine. Yeah, what David Hasselhoff is to the Germans, we're going to be to the to the Moose Javians. Yeah, and here's the one we have been waiting for <laughs> since episode one, episode two, episode dot, dot, dot. The Czech Republic is on the board. Wow. Imagine that. So pretty timing nice. on this yeah. is pretty dang good because we just wrapped up the double check Pilsner night this past weekend. What a night that was, Smalls. Oh, man, that was just a great night. You know, I mean, my uh, Jan and Milan, I think they, they felt really honored by all the work that we put into to make that just a great night to launch their beer. It was a great beer and a great night of food and just, you know, gathering and, you know, I woke up the next day going, God, I feel like I lived life again last night. You know, mm-hmm. there was life back in the world. Yeah, I woke up with a headache. <laughs> so um, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was good. But there was one really, there was a ton of special moments there. But the the best, my favorite was was little Cooper, right? Yeah. Our recipient that night was uh, the Tippett family and their their son, Cooper Tippett, which, you know, he's he's probably going to be what probably the next podcast we're going to have to get little cooper on he's probably listening right now he's our number one fan he is our number and, one fan. uh but yeah that night not only did we present his family with a check uh but we also presented him with a dog jersey and who better to be there for his signing into the dogs uh than his now teammates Jan and Milan Hayduk. yeah that was really neat what we did is is we had gotten Jan and milan there 
their actual dog jerseys. They've worn dog jerseys before, but we always take them back and sell them, right? So <laughs> right. this time we said, we're not going to sell these ones, guys. These are for you. And we got the number eight Jan one, the number 23 Milan one. They had those on. And then we gave the check moments after that. And and little Cooper slid his on. And you and I thought, boy, this jersey's so small, it's never going to fit. And it was a perfect fit, was it not? Not only a perfect fit, but I know that I don't know if he's taken it off yet. Yeah, yeah, we got the the story. The the his uh, Brian, his dad, sent us a note the next day and called it the the Sean Podine for you Avs fans. Uh, Sean Podine after they won the the cup in two thousand and one didn't take his uniform off for forty eight hours, and so um, uh, I think um. Cooper broke the record of Sean. So, Sean, you no longer are the holder of the wearing your jersey. What is he on, four or five days now? <laughs> That's right. He actually was uh, – then Brian sent us a picture on Monday morning Yeah, with Cooper still wearing his jersey, <laughs> standing at the bus stop. <laughs> yeah, that was as good as it gets, right? That's right. And he, Cooper did respond to us and tell us that his favorite part of the night was becoming a dog. Oh, man. So that's gonna that's gonna uh, have to be another segment of the dog pod that deserves uh, that little that little guy joining us. So, hey, before we go much further, Marty, let's get a, a word in from our sponsor, Van Jack Vodka. Van Jack Vodka and their owner Jack Gelso fundamentally share the same values of Dog Nation, helping people in the hockey community. Van Jack Vodka is a proud and local supporter of the Dog Pod and is a great product out of Golden, Colorado. Dog Nation believes it is important to support products that are helping causes that are helping people right here in our own neighborhoods. Give Van Jack Vodka a try. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back, folks. It's my favorite part of the show. This is when we get to get our van jack on. So what's it going to be, Smalls? Well, after another late night, and and I feel like there seems to be a lot of late nights, Gabby, but yeah. we, we were hosting our top dogs last night versus uh, Top Shelf. So uh, I'm going with the uh, van jack Bloody Mary this morning. Yeah, you went right to the Top Shelf and grabbed the bottle of van jack, it exactly. sounds like. And, yeah, that's right. you know, I usually go... Um, with the typical monster, but today, boy, a Bloody Mary and Van Jack sounded dang good. So I'm going to do the same exact thing as you. You got it. Did you cut that pickle that's in the picture there? Or yeah. is that a special part? No, no. Yeah. Cut mixed in, right? Shazi's even joining us on the Bloody Marys today. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go from that. Do you want to give us a little bit of an overview of the show today? Yeah. Uh, before we go to our, uh, our guest, Cappy, I know that we were uh, treated to quite the display of hockey last night, though. I mean, it was uh, we had our top dogs, which, um, you know, we're playing uh, the top shelf. So explain a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, it was top on top there, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So this was at the Edge Ice Arena, and Dog Nation really started. Literally, you guys have all heard this, as a passing of a hat in the locker room. So we kind of have transitioned that to our dog bowl. And we challenge each of the teams at the dog bowl to pass their own hat. And the team that rallies the most money wins a prize. And and um, the prize this year was, uh, or that prize was won at the 2020 Dog Bowl by Top Shelf. They raised over $10,000 on their passing of the hat. So pretty amazing stuff. And so we wanted to to reward them 
by letting them get their ass kicked. <laughs> so um, they got to play our top dogs team. And um, the, this was rallied really by Matthias Borman and and uh, is it the Borquin tw- brothers? Um, uh, Jeff and Ryan, I think only one of them played last night. But uh, Jeff and Ryan, they used their foundation to rally that that uh, envelope to like really honestly epic and clearly record levels at a dog bowl and and um their prize was was one i think they liked but at times i kind of wondered right we had to stop keeping score for different periods of the game but i mean i enjoyed watching it i mean because the top shelf i mean they're as you described them they're a decent team yeah, they are. They would beat most of the teams. Yes. They won the dog bowl in their division, and I, I even told our top top dog guys, "Ah, these guys are pretty good." And then, um, then um, when I asked Kenny Clee about halfway through the team game, I said, "Yeah, these guys played in the division I play in." In in Kenny, and um, he goes, "Oh, I can see that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was not a compliment." So, but so, it was it was a treat watching um, watching the hockey. I mean. Uh, you know, when you think about the ex-NHLers that were on our top dog teams from uh, from Jan Hayda to Johnny Mitchell to Derek Armstrong, Kenny Klee, you just mentioned with 934 games, Peter Senya. I mean, these guys play the game as it's meant to be played. So and, and you're watching it uh, and you're watching them play not against other NHLers, but when you watch them play against, again, a decent, you know, adult team, you can see. They just can make it look so easy, and 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 it's fun because you watch them like wow, you know, you're just in awe watching them score goals, watching them pass, the you know the the way they catch the passes. I mean, everything about it is you're just going that that's how it's the game is meant to be played. Yeah, no, it was fun to watch them and the guys that really did have a good time. Uh, you've talked to Matthias this morning via text and it had a blast and yeah. and it was fun to reward somebody that did what they did. They were champions. They yes. were the champions of passing that hat around. Yep. And there were 50 plus teams that, that all did that. And they all did a great job because yeah. the grand total was over $60,000 last year that we were able to pass right on to somebody else and, or two people actually yep. that, that, uh, at that thing. And, um, at the last year's dog bowl and, it's pretty neat to be able to say thank you to those guys last night, and uh, and does. as you mentioned, some of those names that played that wore the dog jerseys last night, and one of those guys wore your jersey. That's right, Barry Goers, and and I tell you what, one of the you know uh, smaller profile, and he uh, he and I were talking after the game, and I think that if he played in a different era, I mean he he'd probably still be playing. I mean, he is just such a smooth and powerful uh, skater, you know, such yeah. a intelligent player. So. Yeah. He's fun to watch, and he's still still fairly young guy. He stays in incredible shape. He's a, actually an American Ninja Warrior now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you it's the best that my jersey's ever looked. Number, yeah. number 10s never look so good. Yeah, and I know he freaked out the top shelf guys because, you know, here we have brats and beers out, and Barry walks in before the game and says, uh, can I get a water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All those guys are going, I thought we were drinking beer. Yeah. I said, you guys are already in trouble. You haven't even taken the ice yet. Yeah, and we were doing Van Jacks, just for that's, the record. That's right. That's so, right. so so um, anyway, um, let's move on. Yeah, let's get a let's get a word in from our friends and family over at Shaw Hockey Productions. 
So what's up, Shazi? How did you uh, and Suzanne like that double-check Pilsner? Oh, man, that was some of the best double-check beer I've ever had. <laughs> it was good. It was awesome. And it tasted even better out of the uh, the double-check glasses. Those were those were an awesome touch. Yeah, thank you, buddy. And uh, you keep this up. Check, uh, Jan and Milan might make you their official spokesman of the double-check Pilsner. There we go. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they uh, can't do much better than that, Mike. <laughs> That's right. So... Uh, See, it's time that we go talk to our fighting Amish friends, Mikey. Oh, baby, the Amish. Yeah, so Jared and Matt, we're going to try and connect both of them in here. A little bit of technology to merge two calls in here, but I, I trust Shazi's got the magic <laughs> touch this morning. So, so Shazi, let's see if we can get those guys on the line. All right, I think we got both of them. Let's go. All right, hey, St. Louis boys, uh, this, is, uh, this is Smalls. Welcome to the Dog Pod. Let's go Blues. How you doing, Smalls? Thanks for having us. Hey, you're welcome. So again, for our listeners, we have Jared Schmierbach and Matt Heath. And uh, you guys were really the lead on the Johnny O three on three tournament uh, to help your friend and teammate Johnny Orelt. And uh, we together were able to give him a check for fifty five thousand dollars and uh, and and five hundred dollars. So uh, and you were also able to see him get back on the ice after his accident for the first time. So now that the dust is settled and and uh, we're all back on our feet, uh, what is your fondest moment from that weekend? Well, now that now that I got my voice back, um, I mean, I'd have to say watching John get back on the ice. I mean, there's nothing. There's words can't even explain. You know how how that felt for me. And then, you know, to, to see him get out there and then to have his, you know, some of his best buddies that he's grown up with, you know, surrounding him and a couple of blues alumni running around out there. And I, I just, uh, that, that's a, the check was a close second, but I, I don't think you can, um, uh, really explain what, what that was, that was about for me personally. How about, uh, you, how for, about me, for you, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was, I want to say it was the whole weekend. I mean, just the the people that came together to help put this together to, for John was just absolutely amazing. Just the amount of support we got from everybody, like Jared said, from like you know the Blues alumni, uh, from you guys from Dog Nation, just all the local friends, family, hockey players. It just turned out to be an amazing weekend. Yeah, that was that was an amazing weekend for Mike and I as well. Um, we didn't get much sleep as as we witnessed when we watched the video afterwards but um <laughs> but that was good but um Jared couldn't talk and yeah but uh anyway yeah, hockey's a, a sport that does give back a lot and everybody's journey is a little bit different and Jared we're going to talk about you here and have you tell us about your hockey journey where you actually went from being shot to being the captain of the Amish. That's, that's quite a journey. And, and I'm not sure. Yeah. So kind of tell us uh, how all that went down. Well, you know, there was a, um, we didn't make it. It was 2006 and uh, bad decisions were made uh, leading up to the thing you just mentioned there. And, um, you know, I was uh, 18 years old and things, uh, Took a quick turnaround there. Shortly after, I met a guy named uh, Brandon Riley, who uh, introduced me to the my first love here, which is uh, ice hockey. And um, you know, he met him down at the Cahokia Ice Rink here, just across the river from St. Louis. And you know, a buddy of his had left their equipment in his car. And you know, we we had ran into each other down there. And I, you know, he said 
just come on out here. I think it was like a stick and puck. There was literally no one there. And it's like, no one's out there, man. Just, just try it. Just try it. You know? And then coaxed me out there, uh, reluctantly. And then, uh, you know, before I knew it, you know, I was, uh, devoting any, uh, extra energy and anything into, you know, hockey and had a full set of equipment and, you know, that's where the, that's where the journey began. Wow. So is it true that Brandon's the guy that shot you? No, no, <laughs> no, no. He no. Got shot because he left the Amish community. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. They were, they weren't very happy about that. <laughs> well, thank you, Jared. I know this, the Johnny O weekend meant the world to you and you did a ton of work on it. And, and, uh, you've been discussing with me and other ways to give back in the future and kind of allude to that. Yeah. Well, you know, with, uh, with that being said there, you know, that this whole weekend was probably, uh, I shouldn't say probably, it was one of the most, uh, rewarding things that I've ever been a part of. And, you know, after, you know, the tents came down and everything was, you know, said and done, you know, I, I was, uh, I was honestly kind of bumming because, you know, it, it was a successful weekend, but, you know, I felt like, uh, I feel like this is something that, you know, I'd like to, uh, do more often. And, you know, maybe with the help of, uh, you guys over out there in Colorado, maybe we can uh, make something happen here. What do you think, Marty? Yeah, no, I think I totally agree with you. I mean, you guys did an incredible job there. And and the sad part of all this is, and sad and kind of cool part is that Johnny O is not going to be the only Johnny O. Um, it, this, this uh, as Mike has said many times, if it hasn't hit your locker room, yet it will and every one of these teams is going to have face some sort of tragedy and and whether we know them or don't know them they really are all part of the hockey family and and that hockey family clearly extends from colorado into st louis now too and having you guys part of it is massive and if if you guys are are looking to do something like that in the future we're we're right here with you i appreciate that and i you know i can't imagine how you guys feel you know every day uh waking up and doing what you do, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's gotta be, that's pretty satisfying in my eyes. And, you know, hopefully, uh, we can make something work out and that, you know, I'd never hope anything to, to happen to anyone, but you know, if, if, if that does happen, it, you know, it, it is nice to have a station, you know, that, uh, supports people, you know, and, and those in times of need and, uh, you know, it's, it's to give back with hockey, is something that, you know, I, I didn't even know that that was a reality until I was introduced to you guys. So, you know, I'd, uh, definitely like to like a little bit more, you know, yeah. so thanks well, for what you guys have done. You're welcome. And, uh, you are a dog for life. So let's get that, that dog nation, St. Louis rolling. How about that? That sounds, sounds like, uh, we're hitting something here. It sounds like, it sounds like a plan to me. Well, Hey Matt, I, I know I, uh, watched you and Jared do some hero heroes work really down in St. Louis and it's such a privilege and honor to be right on the front lines of watching you guys pull that whole thing together for your, your friend and teammate. But I know there was a moment when Johnny was getting in that sled with the help of lots of folks that, that, uh, I was able to watch you kind of step back into the locker room, just kind of overcome with emotion Tell us about that moment. Um, well, I mean, it, it was kind of hard to watch. I, I think Jared had pointed out uh, in the video that we had shot the documentary that, you know, this was John's first time on the ice since his injury happened. And it was the first time in a sled. And, and I felt nervous for him as long as everybody else. And seeing him get out there, I know it took him a couple of tries, but, you know, after he took those first couple of strides, I had to kind of step back and like, you know, this is a, a big moment for him. And, 
it, it was it was just really emotional. So I had to kind of you know like I said take a step back and and kind of give him his time and and reflect on it a little bit. Like hey, you know we helped make this happen. You know and me and Jared were you know proud to be part of it. Yeah, Maddie, I I know that time that was a tough one. I mean, tough and cool at the same time for you, where you where you were somewhat overcome with emotion and stepped into that locker room, and you know, really the same thing happened to me when I walked uh, when Johnny came off the ice, and you guys had all circled him, and I saw the the tears in his eyes, and and uh, our eyes met across that that room there, and I know it was the same exact feeling that uh, that you had there, and but pretty proud of Johnny out there. That was, that was quite a step up by his end. It, it definitely was. I mean, just to see him out there. I mean, like I said, I mean, it, I'm sure it was tough on him just to be out there, you know, like he's never done it before, but he had a good group of people with him with the, uh, with the slot hockey guys, getting them set up and getting them out there. Say, Hey, you know, everybody's behind them. Yeah. Yeah. We'll switch gears a little bit here on the back to the fighting Amish. We love that name. We were like, what kind of hockey team is called the fighting Amish? But is it true that you guys actually come to tournaments in, in horse and buggies? (laughs) Uh, We we tried. (laughs) So tell us about that a little bit. Did you really do that? No, 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 no. It it was just, we're, we're not actually Amish. What we do is we, we, uh, we cherish the Amish. We, we, you know, they don't, they don't get a whole lot of attention these days. So we're just kind of, kind of there to give them their, uh, give them their recognition. And we did one year, uh, show up with hats and beards and I actually, uh, had some suspenders and stuff too. And a lot of, it turned a lot of heads at the tournament. So yeah, we have a lot of, we have a lot of, we have a lot of call calls out there. You know, we like to, you know, rally the, rally the team when we're behind or something, you know, we say, uh, saddle up the mules or you know uh get that butter get that butter churning i'm always up for raising the barn yeah raise the barn yeah that's a good one (laughs) all of the above are great and when you guys play the dog ball we expect you guys to come in a horse and buggy no excuses yeah there's there's no that's non-negotiable when you guys come as long as you guys are providing it yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder how long that trip's going to take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the yeah. wagon train from St. Louis. To- <laughs> you guys might be here in time for our pond hockey tournament. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, no kidding. Yep. No, but yeah, in all honesty, let's let's put that on record, Cappy. Yeah. We'll let them fly here, but they will. There you go. That, that's more arrive. of my style. They have to arrive at the edge in a horse and buggy. There you go. So, hey, uh, Matt, I know uh, a, a big one for you. You were able to get Charles Glenn to come to the uh, do, do Johnny O's tournament and, and do the national anthem before the, the charity game. And so yeah, um, help our – It's actually a bit of luck. Oh, what, well, help, 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 help us understand how that um, happened and what that really meant to, so, to folks. Uh, we started out uh, doing an annual charity game with another local team, with uh, a Metro Union hockey team. And we always try to, you know, provide to whether a shelter or somebody else. And this year, obviously, we're giving back to Johnny O. And we always have somebody, you know, either sing the national anthem or, or do some kind of ceremony. And just on a whim, I was like, hey, Jared, I was like, what do you want to do for this anthem? It was kind of a last minute thing. And he's like, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to get Charles Glenn. I said, OK, I'm on it. We get a hold of his people and they say, hey, Charles is open this weekend. If you want him to come out, just give us a time and uh, he'll be there. So it all just kind of happened really quick. And uh, I said a little bit of luck. Uh, there was a lot going on. 
because uh, it was uh, the Bob Plager Memorial Weekend, mm. and a lot of the alumni and stuff has stuff going on, and he was actually a part of what was going on Sunday, so we were able to get him for Saturday during that weekend. So paint a picture for our listeners in Colorado and 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 Moose Jaw and uh, uh, Tijuana, Mexico, and South Sudan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, help us understand because I, I because I saw it firsthand, but help help our listeners understand what is it. What does Charles Glenn mean to the St. Louis community? Uh, he is literally the, the voice of the St. Louis Blues. Like he, he has sung the national anthem for them for 20 years. Uh, he retired after the Blues uh, Stanley Cup run in 2019, and uh, he still does stuff on the side, uh, like charity events and stuff like that. But to have him come out, I mean, he, it, it was a big deal. Uh, just to hear him, because he's probably one of the the best national anthem singers I think I've heard. Uh, in the league that they, they had come out. Yeah. And I, I know that I saw firsthand again, the emotion that he brought the, just the gentle soul that he is in terms of as a person, but you could tell he's just beloved by the St. Louis community. Yeah. It so, was pretty yeah, amazing. What, it was what, almost, what I, yeah. It was almost like what, having Shazi sing the national anthem. <laughs> <A> close second. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I have to look, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> what I liked about that the most was the fact that when he showed up a little bit early and he was able to sit in uh, Sean's office with the family there, and you know, he let John uh, put his uh, Stanley Cup ring on, and you know, they kind of, kind of got to know each other a little bit in there. I, I wasn't really there for that, but I saw the, saw the pictures and heard all about it. So that's amazing. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. So, um, let's capture some of the magic from that weekend. Um, and what we you guys were able to do and organize for us and we got to be part of it was the Michael Pilch film at the end um, uh, from Pilch Films. And we loved it our end, except for the fact that Mike and I looked like we hadn't slept for five days. But um, <laughs> but otherwise, um, what did you guys think? How Were you happy with how it turned out? Absolutely. It turned out amazing. Uh, Mike was there um, doing video throughout the weekend and and he actually had sent a few messages to us saying how hard it was and difficult. He had to take a step back a couple of times putting this video together just because there was just so much emotion behind it. And there was a lot more we wanted to do. But I mean, the video is already eight minutes long, so I don't think we could go much longer without uh, trying to jam too much information in there. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you can make the videographer cry, right? Yeah. Yeah. That means you're doing some good work, boys. I think I, think I made a new friend out of it as well. He's, me and him's been in contact almost every day since. So, that was, you know, he's a, was a pretty cool thing he did there and the way it was put together. You know, we're uh, hopeful that, you know, maybe the St. Louis Blues or somebody can air that or, uh, you know, show it during their intermission or maybe before a game or something like that. So we'll see what happens there. Absolutely. And if you're listening now, you just go to dognation.org and uh, you'll see a featured story that, um, that highlights that film. Well, hey, boys, we really appreciate, appreciate you guys, man. We miss you guys after uh, spending months uh, running up to a big event like this and working side by side with you guys. I mean, I fell in love with you boys before I even got to St. Louis. And I know Cappy feels the same way. And we just come out of there feeling like family. Uh, to, yeah, I bet you bet you missed the, the the UPS truck noise too. That's right, that's right. So we <laughs> should note that Jared's a UPS driver, and Matt, you uh, you run a manufacturing company. Help help me with uh, your title. 
Uh, I'm the facilities manager. I, I take care of the the building property. And think about. I'm actually that. the ice cream man for. I'm the ice cream man for dogs as well. That's what I like to call myself. So. <laughs> for dogs. Hey, we're dogs, Mike. Did we That's get right. any ice cream? No ice cream. Yeah. yeah. We, we got I got you for the dog bowl. Okay. So yeah, you think about that: a UPS driver, a facilities manager, an accountant, and a and a former public educator, and we were able to pull it off and give Johnny O a check for fifty five thousand five hundred dollars. So yeah, how about that? Not bad for. Not bad. It could be a new sitcom, The Four Stooges. <laughs> well, we're, we're already counting. We're already count the countdowns on for next year. So That's I think right. it's going to be an be an annual thing here. Yeah. I can't wait, guys. So again, hey, thanks for being on the Dog Pod, and we'll talk soon. See you guys. Thank you, guys. All right, everyone. Our next guest is the is a handsome devil from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Reed Lowe played most of his 256 games with the St. Louis Blues in the era of the NHL enforcer smalls. Uh, taking a look at his stats, Reed dropped the mitts 83 times and amassed 725 penalty minutes. You don't have to be a CPA to see that's almost three minutes a game. Twice, not once, but twice, he had over 50 penalty minutes in one game. Oh, man, I got to ask him about that. Yeah, sure. that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how isn't it 60-minute game? Yeah, it seems like a 60-minute game. I mean, like, I, this is before Netflix, so he wasn't even able to, like, watch anything, like, while he's sitting in the box. I know. That is a long <laughs> time to hang out in the box. So uh, so that's going to be fun to chat with him about. And and uh, anyway, let's get right to it. Shazi, can you get Reed on the line for us? We got him ready to go. Reed, are you there? I'm here. All righty. Welcome, Reed Lowe. We're excited for this uh, this podcast today and talk a little St. Louis Blues hockey, a little bit about fighting and and also about giving back because that's what you and I have what brought you and I and Mike together. That's right. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Reed. Yeah, I can't wait, guys. Uh, it was a really good time meeting you a few weeks ago here in St. Louis and. Uh, kind of get to understand what you guys do and understand we both live in paths where um, we get to entertain our days in and out by uh, putting smiles on everybody else's faces and, and trying to spread some love and cheer in this world. So um, it's going to be fun and we'll talk some hockey and go from there. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Reed, you do that so well. I mean, it was such an honor and privilege to meet you down in St. Louis at the Johnny O three on three and, uh, and how you represent the St. Louis blues alumni association and, and yourself. That's what you do. You put, you, you put a smile on my face from the moment I met you and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, our, our work is very similar and, uh, just a, a, a privilege to, uh, to know you. So got to ask you, uh, being a kid from Saskatchewan, uh, you probably didn't have much of a say in the fact that you're going to be a hockey player, but give us a peek into the early days of, uh, of Reed Lowe up in Moose Jaw and uh, your, your journey uh, and your youth uh, uh, and your path to the NHL. So I'm sure it started with like wrestling, like grizzly bear cubs or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, I, I got a funny story to, to tell uh, to tell about something about raw meat. But uh, anyways, <laughs> when I was my dad never played hockey, never skated, um, but he loved hockey. Um, he was a, a, a his family were dairy farmers growing up, so he had cows to milk, and he didn't have time to get to practice. Obviously, it was a different era back then with hockey. So. Um, but for me, he got me in there at a young age, four years old. I started skating. Um, and really, 
my dad was really the best hockey dad ever. And and my agent, Brad Devine, um, he would say the same thing. He's like, man, if I could get your dad uh, in half to be half of these dads or get them to act half of the way your dad does, it'd be so good. Cause my dad never really pushed me in, in ways that were crazy and got mad at me for not getting a hat trick for scoring that goal. The only things I got in trouble for were not working hard, not being a great teammate and not being coachable. That's it. And those are the only things he tried to hold my hand to the fire on. And, um, never let me play tier hockey until I was in peewee, wanted me to really learn the game and have fun with the game. And um, so I was really lucky from a young age to have a parent that knew how to push me in the right direction, um, where I see a lot of parents out here today, they get their kids going in the wrong direction. And it's more about trying to be the best rather than be the best they can be and trying to be better than somebody else. And my dad was always about how can you make yourself better? And if you got cut from that, that peewee team and you're on the second team, don't worry about it, son, because you're going to be one of the better players and you're going to get some power play time and you're going to learn how to be a leader rather than be the guy that's sitting on the bench and not getting the ice team on the top team. And always tried to spin that positive angle for me and get me to see things, um, the gifts and some of the things that we don't look at in life that are so gifty. So really my best part of my story as a young kid growing up is having a dad I did and putting instilling the things in me that he did. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of, uh, a lot of life lessons from the farm, which I think uh, are, are pretty amazing. hundred percent. And, you know, my dad's 70, he's going to be 75 this year, still works full time selling real estate with my sister. They're actually a really awesome team back in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And, you know, part of the thing that really is cool about my dad and kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a full slip connection with you guys is my dad was very instrumental in the early days in his early days, younger days with the Moose Jaw Canucks and Doug Smale. Moose Jaw Boy, well, you played for the Canucks and obviously he's been really good friends with my dad and, and his dad for, for a long time. And so I've got to know Doug Smale over the years and, and be a part of the Moose Jaw Canucks and we billeted hockey players. And then my aunt and uncle, uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors came to town and my aunt and uncle billeted Lyle O'Line for four years. And I got to know Mike Keene and then I got to play with Mike Keene, you know, 20 years later when he said, this is really making me feel old that this little kid is that I used to beat up is now the tough guy on my hockey team. So uh, <laughs> just some funny, cool things that come out of Moose Jaw. So you've been beat, beating people up for a long time. <laughs> since, since I was about 14 yeah. <laughs> wow wow so you know it's really interesting that you mentioned Doug Smale a lot of people know that name here in Colorado because he lives here and um he and Wanda reside up in the evergreen area there and um uh Doug is actually his family is a dog nation recipient his grandson and uh which was at our last year's dog tournament and um I knew he was a Saskatchewan boy because Doug and I talk probably uh at least once a month and and um pretty neat to to tie that i don't know if you and i talked about that out in in uh in st louis we talked about a lot of stuff but but uh, there's a smail connection now too yeah he's one of the great guys in hockey um you know a small guy you know i have a lot of respect for the small guys that made it in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s because these guys that are the small ones which seem to be covered in the nhl so, you know, that small speedy forward with all the obstruction and stuff that they've taken out of the game, you know, guys like Doug Smale and Theron Fleury and Joe Sackick, you know, those guys are not big stature guys, but they were guys with high levels of skill 
but they had high levels of toughness because people didn't take it easy on them. They didn't, they were a lot, they, you know, there was clutching and grabbing and there was only one referee. So there was a slash in the back of the ankles and they were actually good at doing it as well. And so those guys that grew up in that era and played against those guys, Kevin Kaminsky's of the world, like those are guys that I have a high level of respect for just for what they've done in the game and, and how they managed to survive you know, skating around on the ice with Dave Semenko, you know, Dave Brown, <laughs> all Chris Simon and all those guys is, is, uh, is really a testament to those guys. So Doug's one of the best guys I've ever been around. And, you know, our family have been good friends for a long time. So yeah. you guys got a good one up there. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, you, me and Doug, you'll grab beer when you're here in Colorado for sure. Oh, he promised. Yeah. So anyway, um, let's shift gears to the NHL. Um, you played in an era where the tough guy was really a big part of the game and you played on a team that had quite a reputation of, of, uh, one of the toughest teams in the league with several players that, that didn't mind, uh, dropping the mitts today that role is really diminished and there's all a handful of reasons for that but can you share the differences to to our listeners here between the game today to the one that you played i think that i was in an era that that fighting that tough guy role that enforcer role was starting to be manipulated in a way that wasn't very progressive for that role. Um, they started telling us not to fight when it was a three or four nothing lead because they were worried about the coaches were worried about a momentum change. <clears throat> and the one thing that I really feel inside of that for me, the differences between, you know, in 94 when they actually instilled the instigator rule and now it was a 10 minute misconduct and a two minute uh, extra penalty through my area, or, sorry, through my era, and then the 0405 lockout, they also allowed the refs to hand out a hand out penalties to a guy and have none. Right. So one night that I got 37 minutes in a game against Dallas, I fought Philip Boucher because he completely blindsided uh, Peter Kayanik and Joel Quinn. And Joel Quinn, I look up at Joel and I'm like, "Hey, it's on, right? Like, there's there's no holds barred." And he's like. You know, I don't want to see you back here the rest of the night type of thing. And I went out there and I, and I gave it to Philippe and I got, I got all the penalties. I got five minutes, two minutes, 10 minutes, conducts kicked out of the game, all this stuff. And he got nothing. So we were in the penalty box for seven minutes. And so the retribution aspect of the game changed when they changed the rule and what the players were allowed to do as far as policing the game themselves, they took that away from the tough guy. And when they took that away from the tough guy, it was already starting to get there. <clears throat> you know, Joel, Joel would say, Hey, you got to, can't be a liability in the ice. So I had to work on my stick handling. I had to work on my skating. I had to spend extra time after practice with my kitchen, working on some of the things that I needed to work on, which was a good thing. I enjoyed doing that, <clears throat> but it was kind of the start of that tough guy or that goon, you know, transferring into a guy that can play on the third line, more of that Ty Domi role or that Ryan, what you see today in Ryan Reeves, where they're actually participating in the game and they're fighting and, and so that's that's the biggest challenge with what we have today. You know, where's the where does the problem lie in that? Well, you see more injuries today, right? Wayne Gretzky barely got body checked, and Sidney Crosby's been on <clears throat> the IR twice in his career with head injuries of more than nine months. So mm. when you take a look at what a guy can do and what a guy can't do, and like a look at how you know Sidney Crosby's had to deal with the fact that guys can take runs at him, and he didn't have somebody there to say. <laughs> Uh-uh, not today, right? Like Brett Hull had Tony Twist and Steve Eiserman had, uh, you know, Bob Probert and Joey Koser and, 
you know, Matt Sundin had Ty Domi and <clears throat> all, the, all the way around the league that you see through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, that's where that changed. And I think that's the tough part. <clears throat> Not the part that, excuse me, guys. <clears throat> the part that really kind of bothers me inside is that there's no way I should have made the NHL. The Enforcer Avenue was 100% the last and, and, and final way that I was going to have to make a commitment to the game of hockey in order to be a part of the National Hockey League. And so for me, that was worth it. I was ready to lay myself on the line without question every single night for my teammates because it made me feel better about myself. It gave me a reason to be a part of the team that not only could nobody else do, but nobody wanted to do it. But I wanted to get there so bad that it was like not even a question. And mm. I accomplished this dream. I make the NHL. I'm the first guy to the charity event. I'm the last guy to leave. My appreciation for what I have in life is at a high, an absolute high. And, 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 and for me, that hurts me that there's a kid out there that's a good kid that can get out there and have the opportunity like I do later in my life to give back to a game and give back to people uh, for something that I was so richly given. And I, and they're not going to, it's not going to happen anymore. That opportunity for that kid is not ever going to happen again. And that's the part that really sucks because I don't, I don't know. You guys probably agree with this, but there's not very many guys that were tough guys in the NHL that aren't pretty soft down to earth, real soft guys that are just like, Hey man, yeah, it's all good. And, and you meet them and you're like, man, they were such a gladiator, but they're just this really nice guy. Man, they, they're approachable. They'll sign autographs. They're not rude. They're not, you know, like like a lot of professional athletes are. And, and so I really feel like that enforcer is going away and something special is going away with it. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And and you really just described yourself there. I mean, big, big teddy bear. I remember thinking when we were down in St. Louis, like, man, Reed is just such an awesome guy. We're drinking beer outside and having a great time. And you're signing autographs and getting down on bended knee with kids and taking pictures and then we started playing hockey, and I was like, "Ooh, this guy scares me." <laughs> <laughs> and I like when I'm out having fun. You know, I was body checking a couple of the guys. Oh yeah, and I'm not, I'm not hitting guys hard, but oh yeah, I, I really feel like, and we talked about it a little bit. Like when it comes to those charity moments, and the guys getting to be able to come out on the ice against guys like myself that played, it's fun to kind of get out there and bump and grind. Oh yeah. And like, Really Plus, get them the experience of hey, this is what it's like. You Play know? your so, role a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> old Give habits, them old habits die hard. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah you chirping at people during the game oh, and yeah. giving Marty some business. That was that was great <laughs> stuff. Well, hey, you know, uh, your description fits perfectly into my next question because you know clearly fighting is an art, and it was an art that you mastered to find your path into the NHL. And as you watch any of your fights, you can see it's not just swinging away. There's, you know, it's watching, it's like watching a heavyweight fight. And so, you know, I can picture you up in Moose Jaw like Rocky Four, you know, like running across the wilderness and, you know, <laughs> attaching. Fighting your, cubs. Fighting bear cubs and, <laughs> and uh, attaching yourself to the sled dog harness, you know. So, but, you know, in all honesty, what was it like in terms of, you know, the tricks of the trade and, and actually practicing the art of fighting? Well, I think for me, the first thing it kind of started with, it was just a natural thing. Like I, I've never been in a street fight or a bar fight ever in my life. And I've probably been in 250 ice fights from the time I played Bantam midget juniors, you know, into the minor leagues and then and through the NHL. And so my nature is not fighting. My nature is protecting. And 
And when I had that opportunity to gravitate to this role through, you know, just being one of the bigger guys on my midget team, it was just, now I was also the leading scorer on my midget team. And, you know, I'm out there fighting and my coach was like, don't do that. I'm like, no, but they ran my player. Like that, and that was just who I was. And then when I started playing junior in the Saskatchewan junior hockey league, when I was 17, you know, I got in a fight and the coach was Hey, can you do that again? I'm like, does it mean I'm going to make the team? He's like, yep. I'm like, coach, you point him. I'm, he's, I'm like, you, you point him out. I'll take him out. You know what I mean? And so, I, so there was no, there was at that moment right there, like I really didn't even know what I was doing because I was a player before, like on the year before in the midget team, I led my team in scoring and penalty minutes and fights. Right. And so as I get to the next level and I don't, they don't need me from my scoring or for my skating or for my hockey play. They just need a fighter. I'm like, okay, sounds good. We'll figure it out as we go. And that was really where I started to learn it. And so I, as I went through that first year, I did very well. I beat up most of the guys that I fought in the SGHL. And at the end of the year, they really started tugging on my right arm and I couldn't get it in. And so when I went home that summer, the probably the biggest thing that I did was I tied a tensor bandage around a heavy bag and I held on to the tensor bandage with my right hand. And twice a day while I was there working out at the end of my workout, I would just throw left hands at that bag as hard as I could, as fast as I could until I couldn't throw another punch. And I would do that twice a day. So when I got back to the SJHL the next year, guys were grabbing onto my right. That's when I really learned how to maneuver my hips. And I really didn't work on that. Like if you watch me on the ice, I switched from right to left very fluently and very easily. And if, in, one of the things that a lot of guys would say that they didn't like fighting about with me is they never knew which way, to, where the punch was coming from. And mm. that's where you see guys that try and stretch me out to where I couldn't hold them in a square position. And so that's really where I learned how to do that. And then I, and then I got a chance to go play for Al Tour, who was a smaller, undersized, tough guy that wreaked a lot of havoc through the minor leagues in the, in the 80s and in early 90s. And he was my coach in Moose John. That's really where the finishing touches came in. Um, you know, there was a time where I was playing on the first line and I was scoring some goals as a 20-year-old. And he, all of a sudden I came in and, there, I was, my name was on the fourth line and I was like, what? so I walk in his office. I'm like, yo, what's up? Fourth line. Like what's going on? I thought I was playing well. He's like, when was the last time you got in a fight? I'm huh. like, I, I'm not sure. He's like, yeah, me either. So he said, <laughs> he said, you're coming he soft said, on us, Reed. <laughs> yeah. He said, you're not a goal scorer. You got to dance with the chick that brung you. And <laughs> so he, he said, if you want to be on that first line with Matt Higgins and Chad Hintz, that's fine. I'll give it to you, but you got to still do that role behind you. That you getting on that first line is your reward for making this team tougher and better. And he mm. said, if you're going to forget, if you can forget that, I'll remind you by putting you back on the fourth line. And so a new lesson that I had to learn for myself that regardless how comfortable I got in a, in a league or whatever the case may be, I still had a job to do and not forget about it. And um, as I started getting older and getting into pro, you know, I met the guys from drop the gloves um, they used to send out VHSs to us all the time. How about that, eh? And <laughs> I've got I've got a, a plastic crates full of VHS tapes from those guys, and you know, just watch guys fight. And you know, as you kind of go through your era with your guys, you you know, the same guys that I fought in junior, the same guys I fought in the minors, and then there's a new crop from you know maybe college or you know the uh, OHL or the Q. But as we start moving through it, you kind of just get to know who everybody is, but especially by the time. Uh, you you become the chasey instead of being the chaser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that is awesome stuff, Reed. And um, when we we shared that we had Reed Low coming on this podcast, first thing that came to mind was um, who was the toughest guy that you ever fought, and was there anyone that you 
thought, looked across and thought, man, I don't want to fight that guy. <clears throat> well, that was most nights, uh, <laughs> especially when you're in the NHL and you're fighting the 30 toughest guys in the world on skates. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I think people kind of forget what that, like, think about that. The 30 toughest guys in the world on skates. Now, there's not a lot of hockey players out there, so how many is there? But there's a lot of people out there that are tough. And there's a lot of guys that try to fight and get to the National Hockey League. And so <clears throat> I always <clears throat> always had a, a fear inside me that I tried not to allow go too far with guys like Scott Parker, George LaRock. Sometimes it did, and I never – there was some moments in my fights with those guys where I had trouble settling in and I was on the defense – more than the offense. And I always said the best defense in a hockey fight is offense because someone's either going to be eating your punches while you're getting, well, you know, while they're trying to throw them at you, but always try and stay active, always try and stay busy. And, uh, I, if I started to get a little bit too much in my head about and allowing the fear to overcome me, um, then man, in those moments, uh, we would have, <laughs> we would have some tough moments. Um, but I was, I was scared of every fight. I had a little, bit of you know just that moment and but once you grab on you settle in and for sure once you get slapped in the face or punched in the face <laughs> that, that'll wake that'll wake you up real quick mike tyson said it best everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face right so <clears throat> again i always reverted back to why i was there and that was to make sure that every single one of my teammates was not scared and if i had to suck mm-hmm. all that fear up for everybody and that's what that's what my role was, and that's that was worth it to me. And I was I knew the role, and I knew what was going on. That was my goal. Yeah. So, um, kind of uh, one of these tough guys, and I I'm guessing you fought the boogeyman Derek Bugard at some time in your career, maybe mm-hmm. not. But um, there's a pretty famous book called Boy on Ice, um, Derek Bugard story, and ironically. Believe it or not, that was written by somebody that I went to high school with, John Branch. And um, so, of course, I read that book. John actually signed it for me and gave it to me. And um, when I read through that, it's a pretty riveting book. If anyone hasn't read it, it's really a peek into what it was like to be an enforcer during that era and has a lot of different uh, perspectives on it. But one of the ones that I kind of it it came out to me and when I reading that book was um that you kind of knew the night before that you were going to be dropping the gloves with George LaRock, with Scott Parker, with, with whomever. And there's a lot of psychological part about that. And it, I just kind of checked if you agree with that statement that's in the book there and, and tell us about, and if you do that, tell us about the preparation that went into that mentally. You know, it's uh it's i look back and everyone's like you know what do you miss most about hockey why i always say every second friday uh but that's what i don't (laughs) miss most Uh, i don't miss um that feeling of living in fear because it was scary man like you're bare knuckle fighting guys and you watch guys get knocked out all the time and if you're not careful and if you're not prepared and if you're not mentally ready um you're gonna get hurt there's no question about it and so for me it was it was just try and stay calm. Um, it's hard. There's lots of times I didn't get a lot of good sleep the night before. Um, there's a lot of times I did have great afternoon naps the day of, especially with George LaRock because I hated fighting him. You know, Scott Parker was a was a tough one too. That um, you know, for me, most of those moments were you know in the first half of the season because for whatever reason the NHL forcers every year we would get started there was always a jostling. Okay. Who's the toughest guy in the league this year. And for the most part, it was, you know, George, 
you know, maybe Scott, Donald Brashear has got to be up in there, but George the Rock was kind of the reigning champion through my era and for the most of it. And, uh, although he had some, he had some nights where he didn't finish on top every time. And Scott had some nights he didn't even, you know, Bob Probert's had nights. We've all had nights where we weren't the guy we were supposed to be, but, um, you know, I think just that, just that, that beginning of the season was really that moment where, it was like, all right, well, we just got to get our fights out this year because everybody needs 20 or 25 in order to get a contract again next year. So let's get, a, <laughs> let's get them all out at the beginning of the season. Then we kind of play, get, play hockey the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah, we can play hockey, side. drink some beer. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's almost like that. And if I, I'll even kind of go, kind of go into how my NHL career started because I think it really has some good relation here. I was in nine fights in my first nine games, uh, 17 fights in my first 27 games. And I think I had... 23 fights in 56 games in my rookie season in the NHL. And I remember Joel Quinville calling me in the office after my, I think it was my seventh fight of the year in my seventh game. He's like, are you going to fight every single night this year? <laughs> Cause I was literally going out. I was going out at the beginning of the game and I'm just trying to find somebody to fight. Cause I'm so nervous and I'm so scared and I'm so worried that I'm not like that I'm not going to get a chance to do this I almost just needed to get it out of the way so that I could focus on playing hockey and not have to worry about it because I did that part of my job now I can go do something else if I had to get in a second fight because something happened then I was more than willing to do it but for me it was almost like trying to get it out of my system right off the bat and that's just how I lived my first year and I lived in a hotel for the first three months of the season because they and I was even on a one-way contract so there was like some mind games I think that kind of come into that play as well um but yeah, for me, it was like most sites, I just wanted to get my fight out of the way so I didn't have to be stressed out about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm stressed out just listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nervous butterfly. Uh, yeah, Mike, Mike's sweating over there profusely. <laughs> Seriously, that's a lot of pressure. And, and I think it, it really leads well to the next question. And it actually comes from another Saskatchewan native. And our last guest, Tyler Smith, who's one of the humble Bronco boys. And uh, his question was, you know, he said, I respect tough guys, but always wondered what fueled them to fight. And I think you've done a beautiful job of painting the picture of, you know, kind of uh, the, the heart of the enforcer. But but talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I'll go a little vulnerable here with you guys. Like as I was growing up, I, I had some some tough struggles from the time I was probably 10 to the time I was 15, I was bullied, um, a little, a little bit, a lot. Um, I probably had too big a mouth. I probably got myself into troubles a little bit too much. I went through really bad depressionary time, um, mm. in that moment. And as I started, was started to get better and better at hockey through 15, 16, and then ultimately 17, and then ultimately getting an opportunity to leave my hometown and kind of get me away from some of those things and get me down to mine, ended up being, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me. And the one thing that allowed that to happen was being an enforcer. And what I found out and what I fell in love with in the role was, again, like I said it earlier, I was given the job that nobody else wanted and I couldn't have been happier with the job um, because it was an opportunity for me to take that inner spirit that I had, that protector status that I had and really have just something naturally flow for for my hockey and I was I love the game of hockey and I love playing hockey and I love practicing hockey like I was the first one on the ice I was the last one off the ice in practice I was always dealing with the pucks and just trying to get better at hockey because 
I saw the guys that were in these leagues be- before I was there. And then I was, I had an opportunity to play with them. And then I had an opportunity to get better with them. And for me, it was just like, again, I, I was given the opportunity to do something that nobody else could or no, or nobody else wanted to do. And um, it was all based around how can I make my teammates tougher and stronger based upon me sitting on the bench. And, you know, there was times when there was a, the coach wanted to help me scratch me and the boys were like, no, Losey's in the lineup. Losey's like, we need our, we need our uh, grocery stick, you know, separating the forwards from the D's. And um, that's, that's what I was. And it was my role. And I loved it. And I love the fact that they loved me. And that's what fueled me because of my early childhood where I didn't feel loved, where I didn't feel like anybody liked me, where I, moments I didn't even want to be in this earth anymore. And so the battle and the struggle to come through that really the enforcer role was the gift for me that made that all better. That's an amazing connection with Tyler Smith. Cause I mean, uh, Tyler speaks a lot about and is an advocate for after that accident and in his life. Now it's, it's okay not to be okay. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and really coming to grips with who you are. And that's a beautiful description of the enforcer of uh, the protector, you know, you, your heart for protecting your teammates and sucking up all the fear and uh, just being that person on the ice. And so, uh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I don't know if you totally caught that read Tyler Smith, who survived the Humboldt accident, a young kid from the Edmonton area. He's uh he's got his own, own, um, nonprofit now called it's okay not to be okay. And at like you, um, it takes an incredible amount of courage to, to show your vulnerabilities, especially if you're like, the role you have as a tough guy. And I take my hat off for to you to that. And as a young man, Tyler Smith, it, in his early twenties to nobody wants to say that, right. It's it, you almost like, especially being a tough guy, hockey guy, it's, there's a shame part of that. And what I think is really neat on this show, two, two shows in a row, um, that's hitting home. And, and, um, Tyler does say it best. It's okay not to be okay. And, and, um, show those vulnerabilities. And so just, from me to you, uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's uh, I <clears throat> with my new company that I've started, Read Low Thirty Four Events. You know, part of what I want to drive is uh, first off, just give some 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 uh, some unbelievable experiences that our veterans um, can take and we can provide for them, and and have a moment where we can change their day and change the change the moment where. They feel great and they feel this love that I believe they should feel for what they've given us to be, have the freedoms that we have. And the second part of that is the mental illness and the mental states of mind that we all live in today. And, and Tyler couldn't be me more right with it's okay to be, to not be okay. Cause I say the same things. And, and for me, it's like, it's, it's okay. Like I cry and, and there's moments where I'm so depressed and last year was so hard on me in so many different ways. But, you know, for me, I found a spiritual connection and, and it has helped me so much get in my mind and it's always lived with me. I just never knew what I had. And I think that when we find it and realize that it doesn't really matter what's going to happen next because it's already there. And if we stress about it and if we, if we think too much about it or we try and control it too much, we can get in our way in a, in a way that's not healthy for anybody. And um, where we don't have control. And like with Johnny O, guy gets paralyzed. And instead of being upset and disappointed at the lunch that we were at with you guys, he's telling us about how 
this has revitalized his his want to play hockey and go win an Olympic gold medal. Like that is what it's about, and if that's getting people to understand that you can be you can have your moments where it's not okay, and tell people like don't feel like that, especially coming from the hockey world, man. If I told them I was hurt, there was probably a chance I was going to get sent to the minors. You want to talk about living with fear? Mm. I played with a torn MCL for almost six weeks. My uh, my patella tendon, or my not my patella, but my bursal sac was swelling so much I had to get it drained every four or five days. I was wearing a donut in my knee pad because I was scared to take myself out of the lineup. And mm. you know the things that we live with and the things that we I was felt forced to suppress over the years are things that I want to now get out to people and sit down with people and say, it's okay. You know, crying cleanses the soul. doesn't make you weak. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, vulnerability is a superpower. Wow. Vulnerability is a superpower. It's not a weakness. It's a superpower. When you can look somebody in the face and tell them something that's going on in your life, that's either potentially embarrassing. You know, you, you don't want to admit it, whatever the case may be and say, Hey, I'm okay. I'm going to work myself through it. You've just made one step closer to attaining working through that and making that difference in your life. And so that's why I believe vulnerability is a superpower. Now, what a, what a great message here there. Um, we are going to change, uh, gears a little bit here and um as we mentioned earlier the game's a lot different today um than it was when you played and right now there's been a lot of turmoil about this young man named tom wilson that plays for the washington capitals and um uh uh you can you can pass on this question if you like but i know that some of your peers out there have actually called this guy out on social media about kind of fighting etiquette and things like that and um and what are your thoughts thoughts on Tom Wilson and, and kind of the other guys that are stepping up right now and kind of calling them out? Um, I got a little bit of mixed emotions for the most part in life. It takes two to fight. Right. And so when we talk, when I talk about that, what I mean is there's a side of the people that are against, and there's a side of the people that are for, and then somewhere in the middle line, it lies everybody else. And then we get a situation where a tough guy takes a, one of the best players in the, in the, in the game and does what he did to him. It doesn't look good for the game. First off, it definitely doesn't look good because I can't imagine doing that to Joe Sackett back when I played, I can't imagine how my dis- disappointed my teams would be in that moment. Now, the, other, the, the caveat to that is you would have never seen Joe Sackett acting like uh, uh, Padera did. That's another thing that people are kind of forgetting is that, these superstar players have grown up in the game without that enforcer, without understanding what that guy goes through, because there was moments where you got, you'd sit on the bench and there was moments where those guys that loved you would feel something for you and they would want to take care of you and help you out. And, you know, they would never go out and do something like that because they know it would put an ultimate stress against you because you were the one that was going to have to deal with their issues after. So I'm just as upset as Panarin for doing what he did because he started a lot of that stuff mm. and be careful, be careful what you wish for. Cause you just might get it. And then some, however, I don't agree with the fact that a guy doesn't have the ability to recognize who's in his hands and do the thing, you know, slam him around and do the stuff that he did with them. So um, I don't like any of it all around. And again, this whole debacle leads back to the fact that there isn't a guy, there isn't two policemen policing it for each side. Right. The one thing I don't like about this situation is in a three nothing game, when the tough guys used to sign on the dotted line and say, okay, we're going to go out. I'm going to give you the respect. I'm going to fight for my lead 
and you're going to fight to try and change it, right? That there is a momentum switch. And typically on a three, four, five, six, nothing game, the other players start to get a little chippy, a little high sticky, a little bit of maybe a hit from behind. Crap can start. What the enforcers did was laid that down and said, okay, we'll get it out for everybody. Now you guys can go back to playing a good hockey game. Mm. And that was typically what happened on the backside back in the day was there was a good hockey game. There was a game that was getting out of control. The police officers came in, they handled it. Everybody loved it. They loved the fight. Everybody ran back from the hot dog concession and got back into it. And then after there was a goal, there was a three, two hockey game. And then they got four, three. And then, you know, there was a battle out there of what was going on and there was great hockey after the fights. And that's really what we're missing here because now we got a bunch of young kids that, don't have respect for the enforcers or don't really even have respect for the game or the players that paved the way before them, in my, my opinion. And we've got guys out there that are good players and tough guys that don't really know where they're at because they haven't had a guy like Kelly Chase and Tony Twist pass on the role and the information and have conversations and pull me aside and let me know when I was getting a little bit too loose and I need to tighten my strings a little bit because those guys aren't in the game anymore. And so I think the NHL has a problem. And I think they're the ones that caused it. Yeah, that that whole situation reminds me of you throwing Cappy around down at the Afton Ice Rink, <laughs> <laughs> kind of washing his face in the snow. Yeah, well, the difference is I respect Relo. <laughs> and the difference is you, you were just getting a little love. You were That's right. It That's was, true. That's true. Was, yeah. <laughs> so it sucks all the way around for me. I just don't want to put it all on Tom Wilson yeah. because he is a little bit of a loose cannon. I don't think he has great decision-making especially on some of his crackback hits that he's been warned and fined and suspended multiple times for. So then you bring that into the game that he's really not a respectful guy to begin with. So there's a lot of things, but I'll tell you what, you jump on a guy's back and start punching him in the head. You're going to get something back. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, uh, and for me personally, not that I, I deserved it, but I've now been um, taken out by Scott Parker and Reed Lowe. Oh, which <laughs> ties in nicely to our, our next question. So, Thinking about uh, in 2001 there, Reed, you had you had uh, 57 minutes in penalties against Calgary. And, and again, folks, this is in one game. And then later <laughs> that season, you had 53 uh, versus, I think, the, the Detroit. And um, and so we were teasing before we brought you on that, like, you know, again, that's a 60 minute game. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of minutes. And that was before Netflix. You know, I mean, how did you entertain yourself in the penalty box for that long? Well, so I, I didn't spend much time in the penalty box that night because it was uh, it was called an official ejection out of the game. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So I got I got in a fight early in the and it was actually kind of funny because it's the last time that uh, St. Louis Blue has had three fights in a game and got an injection. So I got a fight with the, and and I got 57. The record is 67, but I should have had, uh, or no, the record 69. And I should have 69 too, because earlier in that game, if you watch the highlights, I got in a fight with Craig Berube and I probably deserved a two minute minor and a 10 minute penalty for instigating, but they just give us each five minute majors. And then later in the game, Bobby Brutner hit Dougie Waite and cheap shot. So Joel Quinville sent us out all of our, uh, meat sticks and then their coach <laughs> sent out their meat sticks and we had some fun and I started a fight with Bobby Bootner in the corner. Everybody come getting in there. Then after that fight, they broke that up. Everybody else is fighting. I think Bryce Salvador is fighting somebody. I think Jamal Merrill is just fighting uh, Clark Willem. 
Um, I think Tyson Nash was holding on to Craig Berube, asking him not to beat him up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Robin Regeer came out of the pile and I punched him in the face. And so then we fought. Um, and then after that, I got kicked out. And where the penalty assessment comes is the three, the three uh, five-minute penalties is 15 minutes. And then I got three... Uh, two game misconduct penalties, three game misconduct penalties. That's that counts for 30 minutes. And then I had such so 45 and then I had 10 minute mis, uh, uh, conduct for instigating. And then I had a two minute instigator penalty, which adds up to the 57 minutes and penalties in one game. Wow. You know? My, my 10 keys smoking right now. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> thank, thank God there's a CPA on this uh, podcast yeah. to keep track of all these minutes. <laughs> and I had no idea. Reed Lowe is so good at math. Did you yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. I got it. I mean, He's carrying the one, right? Wow, wow. that was good stuff. I, guys, I got a calculator. We're good. That's, right. <laughs> That's good. Clearly you do. Clearly you do. So enough about fighting. You were you earlier shared about uh, your goal scoring prowess in the in the midget level, and and uh, and we're going to talk about your goal scoring prowess at the NHL level. And, um, and cause we saw it, we saw your goal scoring prowess in the exhibition game that Mike and I got to play with That's you. Right. So, which was obviously very good, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things we did check out of obviously was your first NHL goal. And it was against a legend named Patty Waugh right here in Colorado. And, um, I kind of think you got the assist in the goal, all on the same goal, which is pretty impressive. That's hard to do too. So, um, can you kind of tell us about that goal? Well, I, uh, you know, I was just, I was playing on the line with Tyson Nash and, and Mike Eastwood. And we were kind of, uh, at the time, the two line rule was still in effect. And Al McKinnis had the puck behind the net. They were changing. They had kind of dumped it in. I just went to the far red line or to the red line, took the pass. And I was just going to dump it in on Patty. And then change so that my other teammates could change and then da-da-da. So I just kind of followed him in uh, to make sure that he didn't have an easy, you know, maybe put it behind the net, give us a little bit more time. And then I was going to change on the way back. Well, he grabbed the puck, dropped it. I skated at him. He looked at me and then he went to shoot it up and he just stepped over the puck. And then I just tried to jump in between him and the net. And I just pushed it in the net and then end up knocking the net off. And uh, away we went. I got my first NHL goal. Felt unbelievable. I can't even express to you. Like I can still feel that emotion in me today. It was such an amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah, you know, I we loved it. I've watched it about fifteen times. And for everyone out there, go out to YouTube, read Lowell first goal. It's awesome. Honestly. Well, actually actually if you go to YouTube and you type in Patrick Waugh's biggest bloopers. Uh, my, <laughs> That's even my better. Goal at the, my goal is at the top of the list. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then really the part that made that even more special for me was I, I scored that on my dad's birthday. Really? Uh, November, November 9th. So uh, it's my dad's birthday. And, and so he was watching back home. And I, I can only imagine how good he felt. <laughs> well, we talked about this one before you came on air, too. And and um uh, it might not be in the official stats, but a Gordie Howe hat trick is a goal and assist in a fight. And I'm giving you an, a goal and assist on that same play. Me, I'm the official <laughs> scorer. And, um, I appreciate and, that. And, uh, and I think you also, you, you finished off the trifecta, right? That night. I, I did finish off the trifecta that night. Um, and again, talk about really cool moment <clears throat> for me. Um, because I was just talking about protecting your teammates and when you're tough and when, and when you're looking to get in a fight and when you get in a fight for your teammates, for me, were two totally different things. I was really tough just fighting to see who was tougher. But when I was fighting for a teammate, 
there was a different kind of animal that that was alive inside of me. And that night in particular, that play in particular, Scott Parker was chasing Al McInnes around the net. And he wasn't being too malicious to him, but he he got on to him a little bit too much. And I was standing there and we were already at the end of the shift. So we were already tired. And I'm just standing there and he's he's roughing up Al. And I'm just like, I just waited for him to kind of let go of Al, who he had knocked down to the ice. And I just dropped my gloves and I grabbed hold of him. And I wasn't even thinking it was Scott Parker. Some guy just messed with my favorite defenseman of all time and one of the best players in not only on our team, but to ever play in Al McInnes. And it was that moment that just snapped. And the screws would come unloose, and it's like, I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the beating of a lifetime, but I'm gonna make sure you knew you were in a fight. And if you watch that fight right at the very beginning, I, we kind of jostle up. There's like a stick kind of in the way, and I just reach back because I know Scott didn't like left hands, and I just reach back and I just start chucking lefts. And I'm telling you guys, I hit him four or five times, square in the freaking chin, and he, you could see that he starts to get a little bit dazed, and I don't know how. I don't know how on God's green earth that he didn't go to the ground because I, I, I was so like just taking it to him. And then there's another part in the fight where I, I have him on the run again and I stop and he goes from grabbing my inside of my Jersey on my neck area to being able to have control of my right again. And so it was just, it was a great moment because I'm sticking up for my teammate, but it was also a satisfying moment for me at the end of it. It's like, Finally, I got in a fight with Scott Parker. Didn't get my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, speaking of that, I know Marty and I were watching one of your fights with Scotty Parker from the AHL, and uh, you were sharing uh, you were sharing with us uh, down in St. Louis. You know that your coach was proud of you, even though uh, Scotty Parker got the best of you that day. Share a little bit about your history with Scotty. Well. It just, for whatever reason, I psyched myself out. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, you know, maybe it's because he was, you know, hammering some pretty big dudes right off the bat and doing real well against them when, when we were in the NHL together. Um, but I, when we were growing up playing uh, junior hockey, whatever, I just he's just one of those guys that had my number. And that fight in the minor leagues, you know, he was ragdolling me. There's no other way to, to really say it. I he even like ripped my jersey off. I think he actually like ripped the jersey. The trainer had to go stitch the jersey up while I was getting stitched up. My jersey's getting stitched up. He's he's my face is getting stitched up. It was quite a moment. And uh, so you know, and, and but my coach would always say after, he's like, man, he's like, I tell you what, you don't lose very many fights, but when you do, you stick in there all the way to the end instead of just letting it go. Oh, there was no like, giving up. There was yeah. no giving up. I, I just don't know how, man. It's like whatever. Yeah, until the refs break it up, it's time to go. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Good times. Good, Good times. And, and I, I chat with Scotty all the time. He's just a great dude. All the, all of our enforcer family, you know, we could all get together and, and have a good time and uh, tell stories and, and not even be mad at each other because it was just what we all had to do and we knew it. And it was never anything personal. It was just our jobs and it was what we were supposed to do. And so it's a, it's a pretty cool union. Absolutely. Well, hey, I know that you you had mentioned that first goal was on your dad's birthday. You had talked about your dad a little bit in terms of growing up as a farmer's son, and and uh, but I also know that you have you have uh, four kids and three boys and one daughter, and and uh, who are who are you as a dad? Oh well, um, I'm I'm I try and be uh, as good as my dad. I'm not sure if I do it all the time. Um, but I just try and make sure that, you know, I instill those same things in my kids as my dad did with me. And, 
and it's challenging in today's day and age um, with all the electronics, um, you know, with a little bit of what I would say us as the last couple generations has kind of allowed the discipline side of life to kind of get away from us. Um, we didn't, we don't want to see our children in pain. We don't want to see their feelings hurt. We don't want to, you know, we always want to try and coddle and cater. And what we got to remember is that you have to, you have to endure suffering if you ever want to know what it feels like to enjoy happiness. And I think sometimes as parents, we can get away from that. So I try and be a disciplinarian. Um, there's moments where I was probably a little louder than I wanted to be. I've got, as I've gotten older, I've, I've not softened because my, my boundaries and my stance on, on children parent relationships is what it is but i try and be more of a of a teacher especially now that i got an 18 year old that i can't turn over my knee when he doesn't do his homework um and i got you know a 15 year old that's a completely different person and i got 10 year old twins boy girl that they're different sexes but they're cut from the same cloth and they have similar personalities but complete opposites and how do you manage you know being a parent and raising four different humans that have completely four different personalities. And you have to try and mold yourself around that to make sure that there's a level of respect and understanding, but yet they still feel loved um, regardless. So I always tell my kids, even after they get in trouble or, you know, we have a bad moment, I always tell them, listen, it doesn't matter what the emotion is. The love that I have for you never dies. That fire, it burns as bright as a fire can burn all day, every day, regardless of mm-hmm. emotional feelings or anything else and so my biggest thing is just to make sure that they know that they're loved on a daily basis that's a great way to describe it i might steal that and text my kids that (laughs) yeah that was impressive (laughs) but really you think about parenting man scott parker's got nothing on parenting right i mean parenting that's a that's that's a tough job and so important so thank you for sharing yeah yeah 100 and i fail hey I fail at it all the time yeah Yeah. right and and i own and i own those failures and i make sure that one of the other things that I really try and make sure I do is make sure that I and my kids understand that it's okay to say you were wrong and not just say sorry. The word sorry to me is like, it's useless. Sorry is not a word and it's not an emotion. It's an action of doing something differently that you truly don't want to do again. There's a big difference in me for the word sorry. Don't just come to me and say sorry because you want to just flush it away. and You want to give me some belief that this isn't going to happen again. Sorry is not a word. It's a behavior act. I love it. Those are great, great lessons right there, Mike. Absolutely. And uh, you and I are both dads too. So that's, uh, that's good, good stuff to hear there. Um, You were part of a really, really amazing event, the Johnny O three on three um, tournament. And early on, you and I chatted um, and Mike quite a bit before the tournament. There was a lot of magical events that weekend. Did you have a favorite part? You know, um, it was a really busy weekend for me because um, I had uh, Bobby Plager's funeral stuff all weekend on the same weekend. So it kind of landed together, but I did my best to balance it. Um, it was an extremely emotional weekend, not only just to see the amount of people that came out and, and supported Johnny O and, and what he did and what he's doing and, you know, how people are rallying around one of their friends and family members to support them. And even as much as you guys coming in all the way into town and helping these guys when they really didn't have, when they really didn't know what they were doing and they had some solid people that came into their life with you guys, making sure that they were guided in an amazing direction and you did a hell of a job. So kudos to you guys on making sure that that weekend went off, went off without a hitch and, you know, for me, just to be a part of it and hang out with those guys and 
maybe give a little cheer and a little bit of love and tell a couple hockey stories and, and put a couple smiles on my, on faces. Like, you know, you guys obviously said I did, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was unreal. And, you know, the irony that kind of comes to it is that all right, right on the same moment in the same weekend, we get to, we get to honor the greatest St. Louis blue to ever live. Mm. Um, Bobby Plager started working, playing for the St. Louis blues in 1967 and held just about every role you can hold in a hockey operations side of the business. And, you know, was still an ambassador for not only the St. Louis blues, but the city of St. Louis and the national hockey league um, when he passed away a few weeks ago. And so for us to be able to honor a guy like that on the same weekend that we helped out a friend in hockey, a uh, friend in need was, uh, uh, was a special weekend. Nobody wanted, you know, Bobby to go. Um, but he, uh, he was received uh, by the next level and uh, you know, he's, uh, he's in a good place now. And, we got to spread some of his love and joy on that weekend with uh, with Johnny O. Absolutely, and thank you for sharing that weekend with us and with Johnny O. Because I know you were you were really pulled in in two different directions, and you did a great job of uh, of being with us. And I know your heart was also with uh, Bobby and your 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 organization. So, hey, let's talk about that for a minute. The Blues Alumni Association. You're doing some great work there, leading and supporting the alumni for the St. Louis Blues and. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. And then speaking of hockey stories, I know one that goes with that is this uh, fantasy camp story you were telling us about where where uh, <laughs> one of the guys actually wanted the full experience and the, wanted the full <laughs> lead low experience, and you gave it to him. Uh, yeah, I gave it to him, all right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, uh, I'll start with that one. Um, you know, Pizza, this guy from Philly, he comes into our uh, – uh, our deal all the time, our, our fantasy camp, we've been doing this thing for 30 years. Kelly Chase and Bruce Affleck started this a long time ago, back when I was playing. And uh, he we, he came back for a game because they won the tournament. And so what happens is they come back, they get to play an afternoon game against the Blues alumni in the – it was it was a Scott trade then, but it's the Enterprise Center now. And, uh, and so he comes back in and he's telling everybody all the night before and the day of, he's like, I'm going to fight Reed Lowe. I'm going to fight an NHL enforcer in an NHL rink. This is going to be the best. And he's like, I don't, he said, just don't break any of my facial bones. He's like, but I want the full experience. So I was punching him in the chest and I was overhand slamming him and slammed him down. He kind of looked like Panarin. I threw him into the boards. Like yeah, everything I said you shouldn't do. I did to him and uh, you know, but he, he wanted it. And so, uh, uh, he had marks on his face and he even had a little bit of a shiner and he walked around the game that night in the blues alumni box and in our buddy, Mike Rainer suite with the biggest smile on his face, bragging to everybody that he got beat up by me earlier in the afternoon. It's absolutely hilarious. He's a great kid. And, you know, just one of those awesome fun moments where we all get to have a good laugh and nobody's getting hurt. And, uh, and we just kind of get together and make that thing real. So, um, it's always fun to do that fantasy camp. We do it every September. I'm looking forward to get after it again. It's an amazing weekend of, of, of brotherly love and hockey and uh, all sharing one common love, and that's the game of hockey and how we get to learn how to play the game but then get to continue to play it for the rest of our lives. And uh, so um, it's just something that's it's just a really, really good moment for us. And you know, our Blues alumni, we do three or four big events every year. Actually, yesterday we just got done with our three uh, uh, par three challenge um, we shortened a golf course and had all par threes on it. Um, and then each hole has either a 10,000 up to a hundred thousand um, dollar hole in one prize. And then that will depend on how far 
um, it goes. And actually, yesterday was a super special day. Uh, we've done this tournament for three years, and we just had our our first hole in one. Uh-huh, and nice. oh, I mean, which one so, was it? The ten thousand or the hundred thousand? So this is this is where the story gets a little interesting, and just shows you shows you that there's a higher being in this world. So this is our first event that we've done since Bobby passed away. Oh, the hole in one took place on hole number five, and it was a fifty thousand dollar winner. Uh, for for listeners, Barkley Bobby Plager was uh, number five. Wow. Number five. Number five. So it's, I got. I got shivers. I got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. When we found out yesterday, we were all just like, hey, Bobby was here, guys. There's, there's no doubt about it. That's amazing. Wow. Well, yeah. Congratulations. That sounds like a great event. And I know that we we were just honored to have you guys out there. And I know if yeah, I bring we, some of my teammates to your fantasy camp, can I sign them up for the Reed Low experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of guys I'd like to see do that, and it's not me. <laughs> so well, I kind I had the mini I had the I had the the mini version of the reload experience, right. and that was more than enough for me. That's right. So that's the cupcake level. Yeah, that was the cupcake level. That was the cheap one. But uh, no, that is awesome. The work you're doing out there, Reed, is amazing. We 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 saw a little bit of it. The Blues alum. Uh, when I talk to our alum out here on the Avs, there you guys are coveted as far as um, what you guys have put together, the, the how the, how the Blues organization has has embraced you guys with your own locker room and and private area at the at their own rink and um, uh, really hats off. I know you're a huge part of that and you're a huge part of that community and I know you're a humble guy, but but really you got to be proud of of what you guys have done there. It's amazing. We, uh, you know, and again, like I was kind of saying before about, you know, passing it on and, and, and making sure that we respect and love, you know, what the guys did before us in the game. And it's very eminent in the city of St. Louis to see what that is. And the NHL has kind of stretched that away from um, what the city likes and is used to, because this city is not one that easily accepts outsiders. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you come in and play on this hockey team, or the baseball team, um, they want you to be a part of the community. You want to be a part of the community. There's 45 or 46 of us that live in St. Louis, retired here. There's guys that barely even played with the St. Louis Blues that moved their families back to St. Louis because they wanted to be a part of this community and they wanted to be a part of our alumni. And it all started back with Bobby and Barkley and Bruce Affleck and John Winsink, Mike Zook, um, you know, Blake Dunlop. These guys have have we're lucky enough to be a part of a community and a part of a city that embraced them to the point where they didn't want to leave. They were given jobs after they were done hockey. Um, we're, we, when we go out for ask for donations and for ma- the major companies in the city to be a part of our, a part of what we're doing and part of raising money, everybody just jumps on board. And, you know, the players don't have that same relationship with the city today. And it, it makes me sad because I want to make sure that we continue to grow this on and on and on and on. And that's the responsibility that I feel necessary to make sure that the put we continue to find a way to engage our current players, you know, with Alex Dean just retired. He's going to go spend some time in Sweden, but he's going to come back here. You know, David Backus is probably <clears throat> going to be done here soon. And I know that there's a potential that he could come spend some time in St. Louis as well. Uh, Wayne Gretzky just moved to St. Louis full time and sold two of his other houses. Um, he loves it here. Obviously Janet's from here. 
Keith Kachuk, Chris Pronger, Al McKinnis, these guys all stayed in the community and came and be a part of this community. And Chris Pronger was gone from St. Louis for uh, almost 12 years and living in different places, playing hockey in Philly and Anaheim and some of the different areas. And he came back here and built a house. And so it's a, it's a pretty cool opportunity for me. And I'm very privileged to be a part of such an amazing group of guys that stuck around and paved the way for us that um, helped us help me come and have a life after hockey. And again, it's all because of the city of St. Louis and the people that live here, they're amazing. And, you know, once you're in their heart, you get a chance to stay forever. Yeah, no, we could, re- we could see that with you there. The people just loved you. Thank you for being on today. And, um, we, we have already, you and I have already had a couple conversations. We're going to definitely get you out here. Hopefully the, uh, figure out a way to get the, Avs alum tied into the Blues alum t- tied into so and so on other alums and um, uh, I know the listeners out here after listening to this are going to want to meet Reed Low and a couple of them are going to want to fight you which is going to be good too. So, um, but uh, but anyway, and more people want to have a have a, have a beer with Reed. Yeah, more, there will be a lot of people want to have That's a beer right. with Reed Low and um. But thank you. We can't thank you enough, Smalls and and I. Uh, we were excited to have this this podcast and and um, as they say, you didn't disappoint. That's right. <laughs> My pleasure, guys. It was awesome meeting you, and I look forward to collaborating with you guys in the future and uh, you know, spreading the love and joy that hockey players are so good at spreading. All yes, right. Sir. All right. Thank you, Reed. Appreciate you. All right. Cheers, boys. Okay, cheers. Reed Lowe, what an amazing guest. That puts a wrap on Episode 8, and always remember to play hard, Play fair and give back. You were born to win.